Hi, I'm Molly Weinberg, and I'm a Philly-based lifestyle influencer who gives all the deets when it comes to wellness, travel, even entrepreneurship. Welcome to the Molly Weinberg Podcast, where I chat with experts ranging from gut health specialists to fashion icons and everything in between. I want to share all the specifics to help you live your best life. I'm not sparing any details. Yep, no questions are off limits. Every week, you will walk away from each episode feeling more motivated and more informed than before. Tune in weekly to the Molly Weinberg Podcast to never miss a beat. My whole goal is to help people realize you don't need to be rich in order to be health and fit, healthy and fit. You don't need to have a super strict diet. You don't need to work out two hours a day, seven days a week. Becoming healthy and fit is accessible to basically everybody as long as you're willing to put in a little bit of time and effort. Hello, hello, and welcome back. You could say it's been a minute. My last episode was November of 2021, which is insane. Once I let the ball drop on that, I felt super guilty and almost ashamed. So as weeks went by, I felt worse and worse. But between moving from the city to the burbs and having a baby, yep, he's six months now, there was a lot on my to-do list. And with all that pressure, the podcast sadly went to the wayside. But here we are. I'm back, you're listening, and I'm grateful to have you. Today's episode is fascinating. We go all over the place when it comes to health and fitness. I do want to point out two major things. One, the audio on this episode flat out sucks. I debated even sharing this recording, but the interview was too good not to. Just know all previous shows and future shows will not be like this. And number two, this episode was recorded in December of 2021. Now, with all of that out of the way, let me please introduce Jordan Syed. He is a short, bald Harry Potter nerd with an affinity for deadlifting and used to be Gary Vee's personal trainer. Jordan began Syed Fitness, his online fitness coaching business, from his dorm at the University of Delaware in 2011, which, by the way, that's when Jordan and I first met back in the college days. Anyway, he has become one of the industry's leading experts in strength training, nutrition, and behavioral psychology. One of the only people in the world to deadlift four times his own body weight. Jordan's work has been featured all over the world like CNN, Huffington Post, Business Insider, Men's Health Magazine, and more. So turn up the volume, be ready to adjust the volume, sorry again about that, and let me know what you think of this episode. I think what's really cool about having you on and being able to chat with you is that I have not only known of you for so long, but met you so many years ago, I think 10 years ago at this point. And it's nice that it all stemmed from the Jewish community. We were at some like Hillel International Conference in St. Louis, Missouri, which is wild to think about now and like how many years have passed. But yeah. I do remember then you were like into fitness at that time. So it's like, what was your mindset then thinking, okay, when I'm in air quotes, all grown up, what am I going to (laughs) do? Well, now that I think about it, I actually think it must've been like 15 years ago. Right. Because we were, we were in high school, right? We were in, I think I was a sophomore in college because it was like a hello university trip. Oh, you're right. You're right. Wow. Yeah, 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 yeah. Wow. Okay. So 10 years ago, just, I was about 20 years old. No, you're hundred percent right. Yeah. Uh, and 
And I knew I wanted to be involved in fitness. I had been like coaching people and involved in fitness since I was like 14. But at 20 years old, I was obsessed with powerlifting. It was like at the, I was leading up to the peak of my powerlifting career. And um, so in my mind, I thought when I'm all grown up and I'm like, all I want to do is just coach powerlifters, which at that time were like big, sweaty, hairy dudes who wanted to lift as much weight as possible. So that's all I was doing and all I was thinking about. So I, I knew I wanted to be in fitness, but just a very different end of the fitness industry than I actually am in now. And so where did you learn all of the, all of the things you know now? What was like your formal training, if you want to call it that? Um, well, I think a lot of people expect to hear college or university. And I did go to college. I went to the University of Delaware and started with exercise science. And I switched to behavioral health psychology. But the reality is uh, college was, a, I'm not going to call it a waste of money, but I learned way more in three months of just actually coaching people than I did in four years of going to school. So um, the vast majority of what I learned is just through the practice of doing it. Uh, I Realistically, school, I, I wasn't a big fan of. I, I had By the time I got to college, I had just taken a, a gap year in Israel and I hated school and I was not really a fan of it. I just wanted to be back in Israel at that time. And um, so I wasn't really in a good mindset, but I was very passionate about health and fitness. So the vast majority of what I learned came from actually coaching people and doing research on my own. Is there something that happened maybe in your life or that you saw with family or friends where you kind of had that pivotal moment of like, I care deeply about health and fitness because, or it was something that was just interesting to you. And then once you learned more about it and kind of were practicing it, it became part of you. So I think naturally as humans, we, we like the things we're good at and we hate the things we suck at just usually. Mm -hmm. um, and when I was young, I was terrible in school. I was in special education and I was terrible at test taking and I was a class clown and I, I was not good in <laughs> school. And I did not do well at all, and, but I was very good at athletics. Like I loved sports. I loved movement. I love exercise. Like, I liked getting outside and doing stuff. And I started wrestling when I was eight years old and wrestling was like the big thing for me because I was very good at it and I loved it. And so by the time I got to high school, I made varsity as a freshman. I beat a junior for the varsity spot. And wow. I, was, I was good from a, a technical perspective and from an endurance perspective, but I was 14 on varsity going up against mostly juniors and seniors. So my strength wasn't where it needed to be. So I reached out to a gym in Newton, Massachusetts, just like a, a local gym being like, Hey, I'll take the trash out. I'll clean the floors. I just want to learn from you. And fortunately they took me under their wing and they were also incredibly science-based. And so it really comes down to just, I was very interested in it because I was already good at it. And uh, not necessarily because there was any one thing in my life that I was like, I need to get healthy. It was more like, I just, I like this and I'm good at it. So I'm going to keep doing it. Hmm. I would say that you're very good at it and you have <laughs> such a wide range audience. Your Instagram is not only entertaining, but informational. And I think what's really unique about you specifically, even personally, is that you're funny and you're charismatic. So it's very easy to relate to you. And I think that your social media presence, because it's so strong and it is so relatable, it's going to continue to grow and grow and grow. Thank you. I appreciate that a lot. What's something that you have realized through social that kind of changed your mindset when it comes to how you have to send out messages or communicate with 
the larger audience at hand? There's a lot. So, I mean, first and foremost, I remember when I started my first website in July, 2011, I started my first website and it was before I knew an online business was possible. It was before Instagram even existed at that point in time. It was literally just, um, I wanted to make a website that I could write articles on that would help people with their health and fitness. And I remember on the front page of that website, on the home page, I, I cussed, I said like, I don't remember exactly what I said, but it was something like, I have a no bullshit attitude and I don't give a fuck about blah, blah, blah. And it was just like <laughs> cursing like normal. And I remember my mom saying, you know, Jordan, no one's going to want to work with you if you swear. And I, and I said, honestly, mom, if someone doesn't want to work with me or get help from me because I swear, then I don't want to work with them. And it turned out that I was right uh, with that in terms of you just, you really just have to be yourself is what it boils down to. Um, I think a lot, the, the whole idea of professionalism is it's something that for our parents and, and their parents and their generations being professional made sense. And even in some cases nowadays, like, yeah, there's a certain level of professionalism you need, but when it's on social media and you're just dealing with individuals looking at their phone, whether they're in their cubicle or sitting on the toilet or waiting in traffic, like you're dealing with one individual at a time looking at their phone and they don't want to have someone who's pretending to be professional. Like they don't want that fake, mm -hmm. that fake vibe. They just want to, they want you to be you. And some people will love you and other people will hate you. But as long as you are who you are and you're just like being very real and honest about it, people will be very attracted to that and they'll want to continue to follow you. Mm. You say a lot of, I would say, controversial things on your social media that someone may read and be like, wait, but I was told this, or why, why not do this, or why take this, whatever it may be, and I actually saw, um, maybe it was on like your website, or your blog, something, or like, you will make points that directly contradict the conventional wisdom that mm -hmm. me and whoever else is listening have like grown up with, can you speak on that? What's like a big contradiction that you're going to maybe blast them away before they're going to be like, whoa, like that's possible? <laughs> I mean, there, there's a lot, right? I think a lot of people start following me because I've become known as like the, the myth buster in the fitness industry. Like <laughs> this is a myth. This is a myth. This is a myth. And, and a lot of people who've followed these myths and believe these myths for their whole life, they get, sometimes they get upset. Um, mainly because of something called like the sunk cost fallacy, where it's like they've already invested. Like you take, for example, fat burning pills. Someone's been buying fat burning pills for years and years and years, and they know they haven't lost any body fat and they know they don't look the way that they want to look yet, but they've invested so much time and money into these pills that when you tell them they don't work and it's just a marketing nonsense, they get really mad and upset about it. But over time, like my goal is like, listen, I'm not, I'm not going to pander to you. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm not going to make something up just because it's supposed to make you feel good. I'm going to tell you the truth. And the truth is fat burning pills are a crock of horse shit and they don't actually do anything. It's, it's just, it's a money-making scheme that is designed to take your hard-earned cash out of your pocket. And it actually doesn't have any effect on whether or not you lose fat. So my, my whole goal is to help people realize you don't need to be rich in order to be health and fit, healthy and fit. You don't need to have a super strict diet. You don't need to work out two hours a day, seven days a week. Becoming healthy and fit is accessible to basically everybody as long as you're willing to put in a little bit of time and effort.
That's so good. I was about to ask you, what's the recipe for overall health? When it comes to muscle, the if we're like I the example I use or the analogy I'll use is the driver in a car, right? You have a car, the car doesn't drive itself, at least not yet anyway. Uh, or maybe a Tesla does, but car will take a <laughs> conventional car doesn't drive itself. You need to have a driver. And oftentimes you'll have a passenger or a couple passengers. When it comes to building muscle, the driver of the car is lifting heavier weights, uh, progressively heavier over time. So not fucking shake weight, not yoga, not Pilates, not to say those are bad. I mean, the shake weight is bad, but yoga and Pilates, they're wonderful, but they're not for building muscle. Um, Zumba is a great form of exercise, but not for building muscle. Uh, dance, great form of exercise, not for building muscle. Um, lifting four pound weights over and over and over again, just making your muscles burn, it's not for building muscle. If you want to build muscle, you have to follow one of the most basic principles of strength training, which is called progressive overload, which means over time, and it doesn't mean every time you go to the gym, but progressively over time, you have to be challenging your body to lift heavier and heavier weight. So that's like the driver of the car. And then the passenger is, is one of the passengers is nutrition, making sure that you're eating enough, especially protein, but also just enough calories just to give your body enough energy to use that energy for muscle growth. And the other passenger is sleep, making sure you're sleeping at least seven to nine hours a night, because research is super clear that if you're not sleeping enough, muscle growth will be inhibited. Hmm. I love that. Because I love sleep. So please tell everyone <laughs> that they need to sleep more. <laughs> um, when it comes to food, there are so many people out there who give opinions. And I'm just curious, as a general basis, maybe overview, is there a certain food group that you avoid? And maybe if it's not you personally, because maybe you are at your goals when it comes to health and fitness, but maybe when you take on clients and they have a lot of fat to lose and they want to gain X amount of muscle, do you advise in general, try to stay away from X, Y, Z, or your whole thing is like, you just don't exclude anything because then you're going to end up binging. Yeah. So it's, I'm not a fan of excluding any foods. Like I'm not a fan of saying there are good foods and bad foods, right food or wrong foods or healthy or unhealthy foods. I'm not a fan of that at all, mainly because health is far more complex than any one individual food, right? Um, just like no one ever got skinny from having one salad, no one ever got fat from having one donut, right? It's, that's not how health or fitness works. Your health and fitness is dictated partly by genetics and also partly by what you have control over, which is your actions over a consistent and, and long-term period of time. So if I actually put up a post today on my Instagram, it said something to the effect of, for one for one person, progress might be saying no to the pizza so that you uh, can actually hit your calories and stay on track to lose weight. For someone else, progress might be saying yes to the pizza without having any fear or anxiety or guilt or feelings of shame uh, and understanding that mm -hmm. progress is not solely fat loss. It, like progress can be mental as well. And so in that scenario, we have the exact same food, which is pizza which many people might look at pizza as a bad food, or you're not allowed to have it when you're trying to lose weight. But the reality is you absolutely can have it uh, as long as it's within your calories and it's not inherently bad. And I would say, you know, we, we talk a lot about mental health nowadays. It's almost like it's a fad to talk about mental health on social media right now. And uh, I like that it's becoming uh, more normalized, but it's become, it's becoming more of a fad that and why people will talk about it. But if we're talking about mental health, which is equally as important as physical health, 
if someone it won't have a slice of pizza at their daughter's birthday party because they're scared it's going to make them fat, I would say that person is not healthy and they do not have a healthier relationship with food, right? So it, it's not about any individual food that's inherently good or bad. It's about how are you incorporating it into your life as a whole? Are you eating an entire pizza every day? Yeah, that's fucking bad. Are you having a couple slices of pizza every now and then at, at a, a special occasion or just while incorporating it into an overall healthy lifestyle? That's totally fine. Uh, and research consistently shows that people who try to restrict and restrict and restrict and who are very, very, very strict dieters, they see more success short-term and way worse success long-term. So short-term, they'll lose weight more quickly. They'll, they'll look better. They'll feel better. But long-term, they gain it all back and often more and they feel worse and they have a bad relationship with food. Whereas people who are more flexible dieters and can incorporate their favorite foods on a regular basis, they see slower progress initially, but actually slower progress initially tends to be better progress long-term because they can maintain it and sustain it and to continue to grow while still incorporating their favorite foods. I have a thought on this. I fully understand when someone says to not say, I'm going to work out because I ate pizza. But what I always think about, and I'm not trying to pick on you, it's more so just challenging the thought. It's like, why is it bad to say that pizza is an unhealthy food or a donut? Because when you break down the nutrients, they're not nutritious. They're just yummy. Well, let me ask you this. Which, which, which ingredients are not nutritious? I would say tomato sauce is primarily sugar. I would okay. say the crust and bread is primarily sugar. And then the cheese, yeah, that's, <laughs> that has calcium. And I'm sure that does have some uh, nutrition in it. Okay. So, so now is, it, is the cheese okay, but the tomato sauce and crust is not? For me, I can't have cheese. So for me, it's a no-no. But I okay. would say of those three ingredients, cheese would maybe be the most nutritious. Okay. So now in terms of, of uh, overall health, do you think that um, do you think it's bad to eat pizza once in a while? No, not for overall health. Okay. But I so don't see why it's bad to say that it's an unhealthy food. Well, if it's not bad to eat once in a while, then why, then how can you say it's unhealthy? Because if it's not providing nutritional value for, for your body, not for the mental health aspect, because you're right. Someone who has been having an unhealthy relationship with food for so long and looks at any type of carb as like a, as a devil, that's really, really harmful in the long run. Okay. I agree with but that. On an everyday basis, like eating pizza and saying that it's healthy, I feel like it's misleading. Who I didn't say it was healthy, and I didn't say to eat it every day. The difference no, no, no. is, I'm not saying call the food good or bad, right? To uh, you're essentially providing right. your your assigning moral value to a food. Maybe not using the words good or bad, but maybe just saying stating what it is for what it is, and saying that it, generally speaking pizza as a food is unhealthy. Well, is, would you say health is purely based on the nutrient value of anything or is health far more complex than just the nutritional value? That's a great question. That's one of the questions I have for you of like, what do you base health on when, when a client comes to you and says, I want to reach my overall health goals. It's like, okay, well, what, what does that look like for you? Yeah. That, I mean, I think that's a, a valid question. Uh, for me, I don't personally break down health 
to solely nutritional value in a food, especially not just like one food at one point in time, right? If we want to talk about physiological health, we have to look at everything they're eating over a large scale time, right? It's like no one got super high blood pressure from having one slice of pizza or even having a whole pizza in one day, right? That's not what happens. It's what are they doing right. over the course of the next of three months, six months, year, five years, right? That's what affects their health. So for, for, for someone to say, well, this food is, is unhealthy, just period, end of story. I want to know what markers you're going by. I mean, it's interesting. You can even look at, uh, have you heard of the, the study around the Twinkie diet? Have you seen that? No. You should look this up. It was a professor from, uh, I think, it, which, which university? It was a, is a, I think it was University of Toronto. He, uh, he said he was only going to eat Twinkies for a whole month. And he, uh, he had some body fat to lose. So he only ate Twinkies for an entire month. And he was very clear. He was like, listen, I'm not saying this is healthy. I'm not saying I want anyone to do this. But I just want to see what will happen if I eat in an energy-restricted diet while only eating Twinkies. So over that month, he made sure he was, his calories were in check. He was at around 1,800 calories the whole month. So he lost a considerable amount of body fat. And his blood markers improved. His actual, his over, overall health improved. Not only did he lose weight, but his overall blood markers, is his metabolic panels improved from that. And again, it's not to say that Twinkies are healthy, but it's to say that a single food doesn't dictate your health, even in that length of a time span. It's really all about what is your lifestyle as a whole. And the reality is if we're looking at health, the greatest predictor of health over the long term right now is excess body fat. If you have a significant amount of excess body fat, you are far more likely to die from heart disease, from strokes, from heart attacks, from metabolic disease, from all these things really stemming from a majority of, of being significantly overweight. So if we're looking at health, I would say it has far less to do with any individual food and far more to do with someone's lifestyle as a whole. So with that in mind, mm -hmm. personally, I don't see how someone could say, well, that food in and, in and of itself is inherently unhealthy when we basically all agree that health is far more than simply the nutritional value of an individual food. Hmm. See, I'm so glad I brought this up because now you're enlightening me and kind of changing my perspective. I wouldn't say that I have an unhealthy relationship with food. I definitely did. I really, really did a couple of years ago. And I can go into that in like a solo episode more on more detail. But for now, my everyday like thought process is much more what's going to fuel my body and make me feel good in, in every capacity. So I don't know if that's right that. or wrong, but that's just how I go. No, no, no. I, I follow the same train of thought. The, I think a lot of people, when they hear me say this, they're like, oh, you're saying that I should just eat whatever I want, whenever I want, and just like eat Twinkies and Big Macs and I eat pizza all the, no, motherfucker, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying <laughs> is that if you, if you, if you allocate a moral value to a food, you're actually probably going to be perpetuating a negative relationship with that food. And for me, the vast majority of people I work with are women, like usually about 75 to 80% women, oftentimes between 30 to 60 years old. And the number of women that I've worked with who would say like, I was going to my daughter's birthday party and, you know, they were having cake, but like, I got really nervous. So I didn't have any cake. And I'd be like, you didn't have a fucking slice of cake at your daughter's birthday party. Like, do you really think that when you're 90 years old, you're going to look back on your life and say that you regret having cake at your daughter's birthday party? Or will you say you regret feeling so anxious and worried that you were going to get fat from having a single slice of cake that you decided not to. And then you ran an extra five miles because you felt bad for even thinking about it. 
right? It's like, this is what I'm trying to work against. Is this such a negative relationship with food that you can't even enjoy special Mm -hmm. occasions, right? The vast majority of your diet should be whole, minimally processed, nutrient-dense foods. It should be the vast majority of what you eat, fruits and vegetables and lean proteins and, and hydrating with water and not soda and all, like the vast majority of your diet should look like that. My concern is when you try to be so perfect and so rigid, and you're so worried about having one quote unquote bad food, that is not a healthy relationship with food. And research consistently shows people who do that are way more likely to regain their weight in the long term because there's only so long they can hold off. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it really does make perfect sense. You're saying most of your clients are women. So I'm curious if you, let's say, get a new client two new clients in one day, one is a man, one is a woman. Are you treating them the same when it comes to like intake forms and maybe like advice and plans you're giving them? Or is it a different protocol for male versus female? So whether it's a man and a woman or two women or two men, doesn't matter. Every single person is treated as an individual everyone's different, right? So I don't, I really, their gender means very little to me. Um, the difference is it'll be the same intake form, but I'll ask for women about their menstrual cycle. So I'll just put like, if this doesn't apply to you, just don't answer. Um, so men will mm-hmm. obviously not answer the menstrual cycle questions, but then the men I'll have questions for men that the woman will have to answer often if they're taking uh, testosterone replacement therapy, if they've had their testosterone levels checked, um, women I'll have questions about their, whether, where they are in, in pre perimenopause, postmenopause, whatever it is. Uh, so each person is going to have questions that they'll answer and they won't answer depending on if it's, if it applies to them. But no, for me, the gender plays very little role in the actual programming and pro- good programming is good programming. Uh, good nutrition is good nutrition. There are some differences that each person needs to uh, be aware of, but for me, it's more about the individual and what they need as opposed to, all right, women get this, men get this. Say this new client, her main goal is that she has tried high intensity workouts. She's tried all different diets. She's tried different workout classes, whatever it is. And she's like, I just really want to lose weight. What's the first thing that you advise? Calorie deficit, just get in track, get, get control of your nutrition and track your calories. It doesn't matter what type of exercise you do. It doesn't matter what foods you eat. It doesn't matter any of that. If you're not in a calorie deficit, you will not lose body fat, period. End of story. It doesn't matter if you do keto. It doesn't matter if you do paleo. It doesn't matter if you do intermittent fasting. It doesn't matter if you do Weight Watchers. None of it matters. If you are not in a calorie deficit, eating fewer calories than your body burns on a daily basis, then you're not going to lose body weight or you're not going to lose fat, excuse me. So uh, I have them start by tracking their calories. And rather than give them a number to hit, I just say, just track your calories for 72 hours, 100% honestly. Just everything that you put in your mouth, write it down and tell me how much it was. Um, use an mm-hmm. app like MyFitnessPal or FitDay. There are any number of apps you can use to track your calories. The biggest issue people have is being honest with it and or forgetting to track certain foods. So for 72 hours, I usually ask for two regular work days and then one weekend day with full transparency, full honesty. And literally every time people are like, oh, I was eating way more than I thought I was. And that's the main issue. Makes a lot of sense to be honest. With apps like MyFitnessPal and whatever else that may be tracking calories, food intake, weight, water, whatever, there's so much fitness tech out there. What devices do you actually love and recommend, if any? So I, I 
like a lot about some, and I also don't like a lot about the same ones. For example, right now I'm wearing um, a Garmin Instinct Tactical smartwatch, right? So this tracks my steps, it tracks my heart rate, tracks my sleep, it tracks how many calories I burn, all of that. Um, research consistently shows which things are accurate and which ones aren't. So for example, with the watch that I have, whether it's the watch that I have or a Fitbit or an Apple watch or a, on the treadmill, the, the things that show you how many calories you're burning are massively incorrect by upwards of 50% wrong. So I actually don't even look at how many calories I burn because it's a waste of time. Um, I don't even have that widget programmed on my, on my watch. So if you're looking at the, how many calories you're burning on the treadmill, it's probably wrong by upwards of 50%, maybe even more. It doesn't matter. Fitbit, Apple watch, all of it. It's all fucking wrong. Don't look at how many calories you're burning <laughs> because it's wrong. Um, and it's not really that important either. Um, steps are a little bit more accurate on the Apple watch or on your phone or on the guard, like steps that are a little bit more accurate. Um, so I do like to have that just as a general range. I do want to try to get to at least between seven to 10,000 a day on average. Uh, the heart rate monitors on these are actually surprisingly good. They're, the research shows they're within like plus or five, plus or minus five beats per minute accuracy, which is unbelievable uh, that you could just mm. wear a watch and have it be so close. Um, so I do like that a lot. The sleep tracker is, is pretty accurate. It's not 100%, but it is cool to see that, that data as well. Um, so yeah, so I usually use the, any type of watch to track my heart rate. So when I'm in the gym and I want to be in a certain zone for my, um, when I'm trying to train in a certain metabolic system, I'll, I'll make sure I track that. But otherwise, that's really what I use the watch for. My fitness pal, I love for tracking your calories and your protein. If you want to track carbs and fats as well, you can. I'm not a fan of, of tracking like all the micronutrients because I think it gets in people's heads and it's just, it's way too much. Um, I'm also not a fan of tracking sodium on there either. Uh, I, unless your doctor specifically wants you to, if you're, if you're healthy, you have a healthy blood pressure and you're an overall healthy individual, I don't think it makes sense to track sodium on there. Cause it, from what I've seen, it just really freaks people out when they don't need to. Um, so I do like MyFitnessPal or FitDay for that. And a lot of people, one of the biggest issues people have is like, well, there's so many different options. Which one do I choose? Just pick one. So let's say like, they're like, well, I look at chicken breast and there's like 10 different options for chicken breast. I'm like, well, pick one mm -hmm. and, and use that one every time. And then that way you're reducing the, the, uh, the amount of variability. And that way, if you're still gaining weight, for example, then maybe you should eat less of that one, right? If, if, you're, if you're gaining weight with that, with that chicken breast option that you're choosing, then clearly it's saying that it's fewer calories than it actually is. So reduce the amount that you're eating so that you actually can get in the right calories. It's more about just being a being consistent with one of them than trying to find the perfect one. Cause there is no perfect one. It's just do the best one that you can find and stick with that one and then adjust as needed. Have you heard of the Lumen? Yes, I have. Are you a fan of it? Have you tried it? I've never used it. So I can't give my like personal review of it. Um, but I mean, overall, it seems to be a, a nice tool, but there's also there are, there are pros and cons as always. I'm just selfishly asking this. My husband and I just got one and we're able to share it because it connects to Bluetooth and it like tracks, you know, person one, person two. It's yep. super cool. But then sometimes I get in my head where I'm like, how am I not a level one or two today? How am I a level three or four? What did I do? And I get what you're saying. There's a pros and cons to all of this tech. <laughs> yeah, it's, I like it because it really works as a great reminder 
to get your steps in, to be more active. Like it's a really good reminder. The issue is, and I feel like you're, you and I are similar in this sense where it's like, we're sort of, we're like high achievers and like, we always want to be doing the best that we can. And if you get a notification mm-hmm. saying that you're not doing as the best you can, then like you mm-hmm. get like in your head about it, which is why I said the same thing okay. about <laughs> tracking sodium intake on my fitness pal, because it's like, listen, you're pro- you're fucking fine. Unless your doctor says you're not. So if your doctor says you're good, then you're good. But tracking all of these little things too much is like, it, it can be too difficult mentally and emotionally for some people, which is why you got to really mm-hmm. learn how to have a healthy relationship with it. Mm. One more question for you about something I think you're very vocal on on social and your site. Supplements. You're not necessarily the biggest fan of supplements. And I'm wondering if that means supplements as far as losing weight, or are you also somewhat against vitamins that are considered supplements? No. So I, I take supplements. I have supplements every day, and I'll tell you which ones I take. I am against the the supplement industry is a cesspool. It's fucking awful. Um, <laughs> it's really terrible. It is a, the a, an old mentor of mine when I when I was about twenty one years old. He said, "You know that you've." <laughs> I'll never forget this. His name is Eric. He said, "You know that you've sold out when you start selling supplements," and uh, it's it's very true. There are mm-hmm. some supplements that work, but if you go into a GNC or a vitamin shop or you're in an online supplement store. of the supplements, and that's not an exaggeration, 98% of them are fucking horseshit and you don't need them. And they're, uh, they don't actually tell you the, the amounts that are in there. Oftentimes you'll see on the bottle. If you ever see a bottle or something that says proprietary blend, do not buy it. Now (laughs) it's a proprietary blend is a loophole in which they can say, oh yeah, we have this ingredient, this ingredient, this ingredient, but they don't actually tell you how much of each ingredient. And the reason that they say they say that is because they don't want competitors taking their their uh, their formula. Well, that's nonsense because the supplement industry is owned by several big players. They all have a bunch of different supplements that they just white label and put different covers on it to make it seem like it's different companies, but it's the same company. Um and they all know what formulas they use. The reason they say proprietary blend is because they don't want you to see that the actual doses they're using are not effective doses. They're not even reaching the minimum amount to be effective for what they're advertising. So they, they say proprietary blend and they'll list the ingredients, but not the actual dosages or amounts. So you're just buying stuff that actually doesn't do anything for you. Um, so fat burning pills, just absolute nonsense. Uh, it's, it's one of the most common ones. I've seen one recently called like a carb blocker, just stupid bullshit. Um, the main ones that I take are, I take fish oil basically every day. I'm a huge fan of fish oil. The amount of research on, on fish oil is unbelievable. So I take fish oil every day. And it's also one thing that's interesting about the supplements that are the least expensive are usually the ones that have the most research around them. So for example, fish oil uh, is, is one of the supplements that has fish oil and creatine are the two supplements in the world that have the most research published research articles on them. Fish oil and creatine are the two, literally you look up thousands and thousands and thousands of peer reviewed articles on each of these supplements. And it's also why they're the least expensive because uh, they're, they're so readily available. But all the supplements that are like in the glass case and locked in the back of the room at GNC are the ones that have don't have very much research behind them. So they're just making up these fanatical claims. Um, so I take fish oil, I take creatine, uh, I take uh, multivitamin just as sort of like insurance. 
I take some joint support. Um, it's, uh, it's not glucosamine, but it is a more of an herbal based joint support just because of, uh, I do a lot of, a lot of weightlifting and jujitsu. And so my joints ache a little bit. Um, and sometimes when I sleep, I'll take either melatonin or a sleep supplement as well, mostly herbal based, but, um, there's, there are a handful of supplements that are effective, but when I say supplements are bullshit, I'm really talking about the 98% of supplements that you see in a massive store. They could take those huge, huge stores and make it down to the size of my office, which is like barely anything. It's a super small office, but like you could fit everything you need in this, in a single store and be fine. You don't need that huge, huge store with the glass cases and the overpriced supplements. It's wild how lucrative that business and like entire industry is. I'm glad I asked that question because when I first read that, I was like, how does he not take anything that's a vitamin? Let's not, I, I feel like vitamin supplements are synonymous, but I, I'm specifically talking about vitamins. So I'm glad to hear that you do take some. <laughs> One thing I heard recently, I have a friend who's in the supplement industry uh, and I like him because he doesn't ever say proprietary blend. He actually puts the exact dosages. I'm a huge fan of his of his company. There are things he has, like, for example, we go back and forth because he does have a, a fat. I actually had him on my podcast a couple of weeks ago and I'm going to publish it uh, in a week or so. And I called him out on, it. I was like, listen, I like all your supplements, but I don't like your fat burner. And he was like, well, listen, the reality is it doesn't burn fat, but it does do X, Y, and Z, which can help you lose fat. And, uh, and so a lot of people will use that fat burner just because people hear it and they want it. But I like a lot of what he does. I don't like some of what he does, but the thing I really love about him is the quality of his ingredients is unbelievable. And he puts the doses and they're all at, at least the minimum effective dose. Um, so, but he told me a story of a very well-known company in the, in the supplement industry. And what they do is when they put out a supplement, let's say a muscle building supplement, they will actually put, cause it's not regulated by the FDA. And they all say that these are not, these claims are not regulated by the FDA, blah, 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 blah. They will literally okay. put Ill illegal substances in the supplement, Ooh. which like they'll, they will do that deliberately. So the, this is, this is the craziest shit. They put illegal substances in the supplement that will help you grow muscle more quickly, which is like some type of, of a steroid, anabolic steroid, something they'll put it into the supplement. So the first users of that supplement will have some really insane success stories. And they'll be like, this is the best supplement yeah. ever. But the reality is they're taking a hit on cost because when you put that into a supplement, it's, it costs a lot of money to do that. Like this, anabolic steroids are not cheap, right? So they're, they're taking it at a, at a hit, at a hit, but then they'll remove it after the first round goes out and after all these big reviews come out. So then when the FDA comes in to test it or, or uh, quality control comes in to test it, all those are gone. And then they still get the hype from the new people buying it. And then once that hype dies down, they release another product and do the exact same thing over and over and again, over again. Oh my God. Yeah, that is crazy. so disturbing. Yeah. It's absolutely crazy. Horrible. Oh my God. All right, Jordan, we should really touch on Gary. I would love to know selfishly again, what was it like working with Gary one-on-one? -on -one? Uh, it was, it was a hell of an experience. Uh, it was for three, three years straight, seven days a week. So wherever Gary was, I was, um, if he went to Hong Kong, I went to Hong Kong. If he went to Amsterdam, I went to Amsterdam. If he went to London, I went to London. If he went to LA, I went to LA for three years straight, seven days a week, no vacations, no weekends, no breaks, nothing. It was a, a very, very intense three years and I learned a lot and it was amazing. And Gary is still like a father to me and we talk on a very consistent basis. Um, it was also incredibly draining. 
and super difficult. Um, I gained a lot of body fat. I lost a lot of muscle. I was not sleeping well. My blood pressure shot up. Um, my business exploded, thank God. And, and I worked incredibly hard on that. Um, so there were pros and cons to it. I'd say the major pro was learning from Gary and the genius that he is and really getting to develop a relationship with him and seeing how hard he works. The major con being how how difficult and stressful it was. Uh, but I also learned that that's not the lifestyle that I want, which is a, a major pro as well. Learning like, listen, I've seen that lifestyle. I've seen how it works. I've seen it at a very intimate level. And I don't want anything to do with that as I get older. I, like, I don't want to be traveling all the time in terms of business to business. Like if I'm traveling, I want to go somewhere and relax and, <laughs> and see the sites. And like, we would go, I went to Hong Kong for like two days and like I, I spent more time in the air than I did actually in Hong Kong. Uh, went to Amsterdam a number of times, went to London like at least once a month, uh, went to LA a whole bunch, but I never really got to see these places because it's just, you go, 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 go. It's from meeting. I went to Ireland for eight hours. Uh, we literally flew into wow. Ireland to do a workout. And then we went to Germany for 16 hours. And then from Germany, we came to New York for 24 hours. Then we flew to LA. Uh, I mean, that was, that's like, we spend more time in airplanes and hotels than we did actually in our apartments in New York. So it was, it was a crazy three years. How did you come across each other? How did you connect to begin with the relationship? So it's, it's an interesting story. So I, like I said earlier, I started my first website in July of 2011, like before Instagram, before I knew an online business was possible. And I was just writing articles to help people. And I did at least one article a week, every week for about five years. And mm. uh, in 2012, I wrote an article that to this day is still one of my least popular, least read, least liked articles ever. It was an, <laughs> it was an article about how to improve your posture if you work at a desk all day. Uh, it was like three ways to improve your posture. And again, like nobody read or liked that article. There was just one person in 2012 who left a comment on that article. And at that point in time, I would reply to every single comment because I wasn't getting that many. And uh, I didn't know the guy who left it, but he asked me a question and I replied. And the interaction is still up there because I, I never delete any of that stuff. So that was in 2012. And it turned out that that guy, uh, he at that time, and I didn't know this, I didn't know this until many years later, but he was an accountant in Chicago, but he was obsessed with health and fitness. And so he ended up be becoming a personal trainer. And he moved to New York City for an internship in 2013. And then he became Gary Vaynerchuk's coach in 2014. And then he had a two year deal with Gary. And after his deal was up, Gary said, who's going to coach me now? And that guy, his name is Mike Vacanti, who's one of my best friends of all time now. He said, I think I know a guy. And I was living in Israel. I was in Tel Aviv at the time. So Mike reached out to me and we hadn't spoken. And we had like come to know of each other, but I had never put two and two together that this guy was the same guy that I replied to in 2012. I didn't know that until Mike told me years later, but Mike reached out and he was like, hey man, I'm coaching Gary. Do you want to coach Gary? And at first I thought it was a joke. Like I didn't think it was real because I loved Gary and I was following all this stuff. And then, so I flew from Tel Aviv to New York and I had an interview with Gary, flew back to Tel Aviv. And then six weeks later, I get a text from an unknown number just saying, are you ready? And, uh, and I, I didn't know who it was. And I was like, who the fuck is this? And then I get a picture with Gary shirtless and flexing. And, uh, and I was like, that's how I found out I got the job. Wow. What an incredible freaking story. That's the best story I've heard in months. I'm so glad. <laughs> wow. That's so cool. I like it because it, 
it stems from, it really stems from number one, putting out a lot of content, uh, just writing article after article after article, being mm-hmm. nice, responding to someone and they have a question, not just ignoring them or just giving a couple emojis, but actually taking the time to answer. And then also one of my, the favorite, one of my favorite things that Gary said to me was, he said, you'll ne- you never know which piece of content will change your life forever. And he was exactly right in terms of that one specifically, like that one article that barely anybody read, that anybody interacted with, that anybody liked, there was the right person at the right time. And because of that, it changed my life forever. And I think it, it sort of takes, I think most people are like, oh, I want it to go viral. I want this to go viral. It's like most people who you have no idea what you're talking about. Going viral actually <laughs> often is, is, is not always a blessing. It can actually be a curse for many people. Um, and so it's really, it's less about going viral. And it's sort of like, I relate it to rapid fat loss. People are like, I want to lose weight so fast. So you don't want to lose weight so fast because if you lose it so fast, you're probably going to regain it equally as fast. So you want something more mm-hmm. slow and sustainable and progressive. Same thing with social media growth. You actually don't want to go viral, especially at the beginning, because you're not going to have any fucking clue what to do with it. It's much better if you mm-hmm. go slower and more sustainable and build it over time, because that's going to create a, a more a sustainable foundation for what you want to build. Spot on. I think it's really important to have that foundation. I asked everyone this. So you, especially, I can't wait to hear what is your everyday routine? Oh man. Uh, it's changed a lot over the years versus when I, before I was with Gary versus when I was with Gary versus even the year after with Gary. And now several years later, right now I have probably the most balanced lifestyle I've ever had. Um, usually wake up around 7 30 or 8 o'clock um i'll hang out i'll have some coffee or tea uh, i'll read usually in the morning um if i have a podcast to publish i'll publish that but it's usually just meandering around maybe a little stretching and reading early in the morning then after that i'll go to jujitsu and i do jujitsu usually around 10 a.m so like 10 to 11 30 or so then i'll come back eat something and then i'll work out and then I'll get like a strength training session in. And then after that, then I have podcasts from like uh, one o'clock until five o'clock, usually one to five, one to six, depending. And then I'll do some Instagram Q&A stuff and, and um, then hang out with my wife, watch TV, have a couple of drinks and go to bed. Do you have an everyday typical breakfast? Yeah. So for my, like my go-to breakfast is it's basically just oatmeal with Fairlife milk. And then, uh, and usually I'll have, um, a little bit of peanut butter in it and then also a protein shake. And you don't eat before jujitsu, correct? It really depends. Like some, you know, some days you're just not hungry at all. And other days you're ravenous, like out of nowhere. Yeah. so occasionally, <laughs> like usually what I'll, I'll have is I'll, I'll drink a kombucha before I go. Just like, I really love kombucha. Um, but usually I'm fasted before jujitsu because I don't want to have someone smashing me, my, my stomach. Yeah. while I'm, I'm like a full belly full of food. So usually I'll wait to eat until after, but sometimes I'll have kombucha and like, um, sometimes it'll help if I get like, uh, we have these like tortillas that are, you know, tortillas are super easy to digest and they don't really fill you up very much. But like, if I'm just hungry and need something, I'll have that. Yeah. I don't blame you for having, for not having a large meal before that. <laughs> um, if you would recommend a product that has really influenced your life in a good way, that's changed maybe your every day, what would that product be? And it doesn't have to be in the health or wellness space. It could be as simple as a, 
new kombucha flavor that you just love. <laughs> hmm. What product has really influenced my life? Um, let's see. I'm trying to, I mean, I don't want to just name one that I just got recently. I'd like to think of something I've been using more often. Um, you know, this isn't a product. It's, it's not a product. It's more of like a, an activity. And I'm just going to say it because it's changed my life dramatically as jujitsu. It's, it's just the fucking best. I'm obsessed with it. And I know a lot of people are like, is it, is it only for men? Da, da, da. Like, no, for example, last night, I went to a class last night at, at 6.30 and there's this young girl there. She's 16. Her name is Vanessa. I've spoken about her ad nauseum on my podcast. This, this girl is unbelievable. She's 16 years old. She's probably weighs about 90 pounds. Keep in mind, I'm a world record powerlifter. Like I, I'm stronger than the vast majority of men and never mind this 90 pound 16 year old girl but she fucking destroys me like this girl chokes me out she could break my arm like i'm not kidding if her and i got in a in a fight she would kill me like she's a savage killer she's you would look at her you'd never expect it she's this tiny little sweet little girl she's super nice um it's it's not just for men there are, it's becoming more and more popular among women as well especially as a form of self-defense but jujitsu has just completely changed my life, made me, um, the way that one of my coaches put it when I first started, he said, uh, when you start your day trying to prevent someone from choking you out, then any obstacle you face the rest of the day seems relatively insignificant. And it's just held <laughs> I very, very true, right? Where it's like, you know, whatever, like having a, a relationship problem or money problems or whatever it is, like, you survived. You didn't die that morning at jujitsu. So overall life is good. And uh, that's helped me a lot. That is awesome. Thank you for sharing. Maybe that'll motivate me to try a class. You should. You definitely should. It's awesome. My wife will never, ever do it. She's like a super girly girl. Like she does, you know, she always has her nails done and all that. like she, she doesn't like getting sweat on her like she's so she would not like it i've tried to get her to do it but she won't but i would definitely encourage everybody <laughs> to try it <laughs> that's awesome jordan it was so nice recording with you speaking with you you're so easy to talk to and you're so cool and calm and smart and i feel like i've learned so so much for everyone listening can you just share how to find you your site how to become a client potentially your instagram all the things yeah so honestly if you just want to Google my name, Jordan Syatt, you'll find my Instagram, my podcast, all of that. Everything is available on Google. So just if you, any, I'm on every, every platform. So Google my name and you'll find me. Easy as that. I love it. Thank you so, so much. Absolutely. Thank you. If you enjoyed this podcast, feel free to share with your friends, family, loved ones, really anyone who you think would gain value from this episode. And if you're feeling up for it, please subscribe, rate, and review. It means so, so much. 